We always have a lot of visitors on this Memorial Day weekend, so just to get you caught up, uh, last we've been walking through the book of 1 Samuel, and unfortunately, if you were not here last week, we got left off in something of a cliffhanger. The uh, David has been on the run for so long from King Saul. King Saul wants to murder David. He's been trying for so long. David got so tired, so exhausted of the run, of the flight, that he, uh, he, he ran away from Israel, went to the land of the Philistines, Philistia, and uh, found asylum there. And while he was there, he was deceiving. He was lying to the Philistines making them think that he was attacking Israelite settlements and stealing their stuff. Actually, he, was, he had become something of a pirate. He was attacking settlements of folks like Amalekites, and he was stealing all their stuff and killing all of the people, leaving no survivors. And then he was lying about that to the Philistines. And that was to ingratiate himself to the Philistines so that they would let him stay in relative peace because Saul couldn't get at him there. And that deception seemed to be going fine until it wasn't. The first couple of verses of chapter 28, the leader of the Philistine city of Gath came to David and and let him know, hey, your good guys have just been drafted into the Philistine army. The Philistine army is going to go fight against Israel and you guys are coming along. And all of a sudden, David and his men are in a really tight spot. They can't go fight against their own people, Israel. But they also can't let the Philistines know they've been deceiving them because then they might have to fight against King Saul and be worried about him and the Philistines might try to kill him too. They might actually be in a worse shape. So that's where we got left off. And I am so excited to read with you what is going to happen with, uh, with the rest... Wait a minute. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Oh, hold on. I, I'm just being told that story about David and the Philistines is going to have to wait until next week because our author has decided that there is another story that's so important he won't even finish the story He just told us. Obviously, I'm kidding a little bit about that. But that's the effect. That's what we're supposed to think about today's passage. Why won't you have... What's going to happen with David? Well, come back next week and we'll find out. But for now, there's this weird story that our author has just decided he can't wait any longer. He's got to tell us right now. We're going to read this whole thing in one chunk, um, and because when we study through it, I'm going to skip around a bit. It's this really odd story about King Saul visiting a spiritist or a medium, and where it fits in in the story is this David, as I just mentioned, because of this war that's coming from the Philistines toward Israel, David's in a really tough spot, but what we're going to find out today is King Saul might be in an even worse spot. So that's what we're going to read about 
Today, let's read our passage. This is 1 Samuel chapter 28, 23 verses worth, beginning in verse 3. And if I turn this thing on, I can advance the slide. 1 Samuel 28, beginning in verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, that's the prophet, and all of Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord didn't answer him. Not by dreams or Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Verse 8. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. uh, And he went, and he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? Saul said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, Then the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Verse 13. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. But what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What's he look like? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, that's why I've called you, so that you may make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary, the Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on the Amalekites, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. And therefore tomorrow you and your sons will also be dead. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Verse 20. Then Samuel immediate then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman came to Saul And saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words, which you spoke to me. So now also please listen to me and let me put a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. 
Verse 23, but Saul refused and he said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him. He listened to them. He arose from the ground and he sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf in the house. She quickly slaughtered it. She took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. She brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. There's our passage. I want to start... um, As we think about that weird passage, I want to start with considering what I think are the two most common questions people ask when they read that story, especially for the first time. And that are these, what exactly just happened there? And then, is this really something that can happen? Is this really possible? I'm not sure those are the best questions to ask, but I do think they're the most natural so we're going to start there. We're, we're given a bit of background at the very beginning of the that says Samuel is indeed dead. Uh, the prophet has been dead long enough that the, the national period of mourning has ended. Uh, and then we're also told that sometime before today's passage, King Saul has decided to try to rid Israel of, there's two different words. Your Bibles might say mediums, spiritists, Uh, It might say something like wizards. It might say necromancers. Just two words for the same uh, type of ears. Magicians might be another another word. Literally what we're told, Saul tried to rid Israel of those who owned a ritual pit. Um, Which, and and necromancers would be our, the, the best word for that. People who try to talk to dead folks, right? That's who, Saul tried to get rid of. Good for Saul. Now, I won't say the ritual pit thing is this. In this, there's always been people who try to contact people who have died. That's always been a thing. It's still a thing. Uh, In that culture, in that day, apparently they would dig a big pit, and that's how they were were supposed to conjure people out out of the earth. That's the idea. I won't say Saul outlawed those things because Saul inherited a government that already had a law that made that illegal because the law of Israel was the law of Moses. When we read the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that was like their constitution and their law. And in the law of Israel, we read this, there must never be found among you anyone who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, anyone who practices divination, an omen reader, a soothsayer, a sorcerer, one who casts spells, one who conjures up spirits, a practitioner of the occult, or a necromancer, somebody who contacts dead people. Whatever you want to call them, can't have them. That was hundreds of years before this, but good for Saul. Saul started to enforce this law and try to get rid of folks. But Saul didn't get rid of all of them. And apparently his men knew exactly where to find one. You can assume from that whatever you want. But what happened in this passage is Saul went to visit a woman who purported to be able to contact the dead. Now we're going to leave why Saul would do that for a, for a minute. We're just concerned with what happened And if it's possible. So Saul goes there. And he finds this woman and asks her to conjure up someone. Now this woman, for her, she's no dummy. Uh, 
she smells a rat. There's this cloak and dagger bit in here. Saul's in a costume. She doesn't want to talk about it. She knows she's involved in an illegal industry. Like for our day and age, it'd be like she's a drug dealer, right? She smells the government on this guy when he gets there. And he says, I want you to conjure up somebody. And she says, well, that's illegal, right? I would, that's what she says. And Saul is in a costume. Why? Because he doesn't want people to know it's what he's doing either. Right? If, the, if, if we had a president that went to visit a drug dealer, he wouldn't take a camera crew with him, right? So that's, that's the cloak and dagger bit. I want you to notice as he meets this woman, Saul, he makes a promise he can't keep here. Saul is so Saul-focused. Here's what he says. Hey, Don't worry about anything. As sure as Yahweh God above, as sure as he lives, you will not incur any guilt in this matter. That's a promise Saul can't keep. What Saul means is, I can promise you the current government won't prosecute you. But listen, this woman has her own guilt that Saul can't do anything about in in the courtroom that actually matters, ultimately. But anyway, he talks this, uh, this woman into plying her dark arts, we'll say. And what happens? If we're to take this passage at face value, and we have no reason not to, is the spirit of the prophet Samuel, the actual guy, the real person, shows up. Ninety-nine percent of people who have ever tried to make a living doing this sort of stuff, I believe 99% of them are shysters, hucksters, fraudsters, right? Um, and I think this woman was among them. I don't think she'd ever seen anything. Right? We can talk later about how you do this in a way where it makes people think you're actually seeing a dead person. You just say general stuff until you hit on something, but we can talk about that later. I don't think this woman's ever seen anything before, but all of a sudden that day, the prophet Samuel appears and it scares the soup out of this woman. She screams out loud. Somehow it makes her know that she's dealing with King Saul. I don't know if Samuel said something that is not recorded for us, but I do believe God has intervened here And he has allowed the prophet Samuel to come back and visit with King Saul. Just like um, on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels, God allowed Moses and Elijah, their spirit, to appear with Jesus. Samuel had been dead, which means his spirit had just been separated from his body, but his spirit was alive and with the Lord. God allowed that spirit to return. So that's, that's what happened. Now, the next question, is this really possible? I don't like that question very much. I think this is the wrong question. Because is this possible? Could someone really have a conversation with a dead loved one, relative, former prophet, whatever? The answer to that question is actually no, it's not possible. I I will tell you, I do not think you speak to your dead, your dead loved one. You do not get visited by your dead loved one. Death separates us 
from those who have died. I don't think it's possible. But Pastor Matt, you just told us you thought it happened. It did. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is when something happens that ain't possible. There's no physical, there's no scientific explanation for it happening. So, and I make a big deal of this because we don't, this question, is that really possible? There can be some desire in that question. There can be some, would that really be possible for me? Maybe I, maybe I could recreate that. I would love to talk to my fill in your own blank there. And listen, it doesn't matter if it's possible. We don't avoid dabbling in this stuff because it's possible or impossible. We don't dabble with it because it's forbidden, because it's evil, because it's wicked. Because God said, don't do it. And by and large, I think you have two possibilities if you're going to try to dabble in any of this occult stuff. One, maybe you, whether, it's, whether you're going to visit someone or trying this on your own. One, you're going to sin and go visit someone and just get robbed and that's it. Right? Just give your money to someone who is just a shyster. And you sin while doing that. That doesn't seem like a great idea. The other possibility is you dabble in some of this stuff. You sin in dabbling in it, and then you do get visited by something supernatural. And let me tell you, that's even worse than the first option. Because what you get visited by, again, will not be your dead loved one. It may be something demonic, something you do definitely do not uh, want to mess with. Uh, because the demonic world is real. The spiritual world is real. So we don't, mess, we don't mess with that stuff. So I think that's my answer to what happened here. And is it, is it really possible? That's my best shot at answering those questions. Now let's move on to consider an answer to this question. Why did King Saul do this? King Saul decided to go visit this woman who's normally referred to as the witch at Endor. Because when you identify the wrong problem, it invariably leads to a bad solution. If you don't work on the right problem, whatever solution you come up with probably won't be good. If we have a vehicle that's not running uh, because it needs a new starter, and I decide to replace the transmission, that's a bad solution because I've identified the wrong problem, right? Well, Saul is correct in understanding he has problems in his life, but he misidentifies the problem. So Saul sees uh, the Philistines massing for this large-scale attack on Israel, and he rightly ascertains this is a problem because we can't beat them. And so he looks around, and David's not there to fight for him, and God won't tell him what God often told the kings of Israel, here's what you should do to win. God won't talk to him. And so Saul thinks his problems are, I may not be able to survive this attack, and my problem with that is God won't talk to me. And David's not here to fight for me, because David always wins. 
He, he's knocked on every door he can think of. He won't get dreams or visions. He won't get, we're told, urim, which means a priest uh, won't help. A prophet won't help. And so he looks around and says, man, this is a real problem. David's not around here anymore. And, and you know, the, the priests won't help and the prophets won't help. And, you know, Samuel's been dead for a while now, so I can't talk to, hey, wait a minute. Maybe there is a way I can talk to the old prophet Samuel. And he tells his guys, guys, give me the number for the nearest wizard or whatever you call it. I don't know what you look up in the yellow pages for this. but And so he goes to visit this because he wants to know what do I have. My problem is I don't know what I have to do in this situation to survive and continue being king. That's not Samuel's, that's not Saul's real problem. Those are symptoms of Saul's real problem. Saul knows he has to fight. He can't. Why isn't David around to fight for him? Oh yeah, because Saul's been trying to murder him for who knows how long. He says, the Urim won't help. He can't find a priest who will help him. Why aren't there any priests around? He murdered all of them except for one who's also with David. Why won't the prophets help? Because of the way he treated Samuel. And so Saul's solution isn't to the real problem. And by the way, his solution is not just sinful. It's also silly. It's stupid. What was Samuel's job when he was alive? He was a what? He was a prophet. Was he a good prophet or a bad prophet? Good prophet. He was a true prophet, right? Which means what's the only kind of information Samuel can give to people while he was alive on earth? He can only give information that God once pronounced. It's straight from God. He can only give God's word. So here's what King Saul is doing. God won't answer him, so he's going to ask a true prophet to give him information God has decided not to give him. That's why, that's why Samuel, zombie Samuel, when he shows up, he's actually the opposite of a zombie, by the way. Right? A zombie is when there's, you have a body with no soul, and he's like a soul with, never mind, that's not important, really. So Saul, Samuel shows up and says, what'd you call me for? And Saul says, I'm terribly troubled. Here's my problem. The Philistines are fighting against me. God's turned away from me. God won't answer me. The prophets won't help. The dreams aren't coming. So I've called you because I want you to tell me what I should do. Do for what? So I can survive and keep being king. Look at what Samuel says. Why are you asking me? Why are you asking me? Now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy, whose side do you think I'm on? I can't give anyone, even when I was alive on earth, I can't give people information God doesn't want them to have. That's what you're doing. You're trying to make an end run around God. God won't give you this information. Maybe the devil will help. Then Samuel's going to tell Saul what his real problem is. He says, the Lord's done exactly what I told you. He's going to do. The Lord has torn the kingdom from your hand and given it to your neighbor David. But look at why. Because since you did not obey the Lord. And clear back in chapter 15. I won't tell you the whole story, but 
Saul was given a piece of very difficult obedience. He refused to do what God told him to do. And dead Samuel tells King Saul, that's why you're in the situation you're in. Your disobedience, your rebellion against God that works its way out in your life as disobedience, that's your actual problem. That's the reason God's not picking up the phone when you call. Now, I don't want to spoil a later episode of our story for you, but King Saul is not long for this earth. He's about to die. And here at the end of his life, this is the story that people tend to point to as the evidence of how how far King Saul fell. Isn't it sad that King Saul fell to this point where he was doing this kind of mess? I think that misses the point of Saul's life for sure. And it misses the point of this story, that sort of sentiment. I get why people say it. Don't get me, I'm not being critical really. But we shouldn't look at this story and think, man, how sad that this is where King Saul wound up. Because listen, King Saul hasn't fallen anywhere here in chapter 28 that he didn't fall already in chapter 15 a long time ago. It's why Samuel, dead, uh, dead prophet Samuel, that's why he tells Saul um, about that story back in 15. You didn't obey the Lord clear back then. Listen, read with me again what we were told back in chapter 15 when all King Saul did, here's what his crimes were. He didn't kill enough people and he didn't kill enough animals when God told him to. These were his crimes. And God, if you want to know why God would order such a thing, go back and listen to the first sermon of chapter 15. There are reasons, but God through Samuel back then said this to Saul, your sin of rebellion just as well be divination or witchcraft. When you rebel against God, you just as well be doing witchcraft. Your sin is as the sin of. It's like it's the same thing. And insubordination, not doing what the boss says, being insubordinate, your insubordination to God just as well be every other kind of iniquity or idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul has had his problem for a long time. Saul's problem was he could hear the word of the Lord. God says, do this. And Saul would go, you know, I think my life would be better if I don't, if I, if I avoid doing what God said. We can get there, right? We get there all the time. That's Saul's problem. And it's so easy to find ourselves in a situation like Saul is in right now. All the details might change. But think about this. This is where Saul's at. Saul's life is all jammed up right now. He is in a terrible situation. And now he's stuck asking God 
to fix his circumstances that are there because he refused to be obedient to God all along. Right? It's like, Saul, my life is a wreck. I'm not going to survive this. God won't talk to me. Where is God when I need him? You ever feel like that? That question, though, shows that we bought a lie months and months back. Where is God now that I need him? Let's just know we bought the lie some time ago that there was ever a point I didn't need him. The truth is I needed him just as bad back then when I didn't want him. And when there is distance in my relationship to God, when there is enmity between a person and God, what is the solution to that? I'll give you a hint. It ain't witchcraft. Okay? That's not going to help Saul's problem. See, he just wants God to fix the symptoms. God would love for Saul to fix the problem. He wants, God, just tell me what I need to do in this battle so I can keep going on to become king, to stay king. That ship has sailed. But it's not because Saul resulted to, to witchcraft. It's because Saul rejected God as his king. I know God says, do this, don't do this. But I think my life will actually be better, more fun, more exciting, more whatever, if I do my own thing. And I'll let God know when I need him. That's Saul's problem. But it ain't just Saul's problem. Is it? This is our problem. It is. Anytime I fall into that trap of saying I can actually get better results in my life doing blank, when God has said blank isn't something you ought to be doing, I'm in the same spot as Saul. And then it's very easy to wind up in a spot where we just we want God to step in and save the day. See, Saul, Saul wants God. He's praying. He's asking. But what he wants is God to do what he wants God to do. I want you to fix all this. Then go away and I'll let you know if I need you again. That's not the way God rolls. Right? The, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. What, uh, you know, what relationship does light have with darkness? Right? God can't step in and be with Saul in his rebellion. Saul has to repent. Saul has never made this conscious decision that we have to make over and over. No, no, no. I'm going to lay my life and my will down. The best thing I can do with my life is like God called those shots. Saul has never gotten there. And that's why God rejects him. He just never gets it. And when we wind up at the, uh, at the end of this story, there's a the really weird ending to the story. Did you catch it? Where Saul, when he hears Samuel say, it's too late, kid. Tomorrow's the day for you and your sons. He falls down. He's really sad. And then there's this really weird picture where 
Suddenly the witch at indoors putting her arm around, oh, it's okay, just get up and eat something, it'll make you feel better. Isn't that a weird story? What's that even doing there? Here's why that's there. When we get stuck in rebellion, when we get stuck pursuing directions in our lives where God says that's not the direction your life ought to, ought to take, before long, the only comfort that seems to be around is fellow folks, fellow situations that are on that same sort of path. Like God can't step in and give us. He's the God of all comfort, but he doesn't want us to feel comfort when we are stuck in rebellion. You know what he wants us to feel? The consequences of sin. And for us, God gives us that stuff in his grace and his mercy. This is not God's anger at Saul. This is God's grace and mercy towards Saul. You know why? Because he's giving Saul a chance to understand this is what's always been true. I need God. More than I need what he can do, I just need him. And where else is Saul supposed to turn for comfort? Besides someone else who will tell him where he's at is actually okay. Oh yeah, it makes sense, you know, it's everyone else's fault and whatever. And that's the end of a very dark story. What do we learn from it? Well, I think this passage asks us a couple of really important questions. First, when I feel forsaken, where do I turn? For Saul, Saul felt forsaken, and so he turned to like witchcraft, right? Not a great choice. Don't read this passage, please, and go, oh man, I would never do what Saul did. Thank goodness that's, I'm not like that. No, no, no. Ask, where is it that I turn when my life falls apart? Where is it, where is it that I turn when, things, when my life gets jammed up, when things feel bad, when I don't get what I want? Because it's really easy to be like Saul and turn toward things that God says we shouldn't have in our lives to make us feel better. Anybody ever try to use sin to make themselves feel better? My, is anybody? Where does our mind escape to when we feel forsaken? You know, it might just be that anger and bitterness and blaming others for the reason you feel the way you feel. Um, that's basically what the news is right now. Just be really furious that everyone else is the reason you feel like you feel. Um, might be pornography. Um, it, it, we might use substances to make our alcohol, drugs to make ourselves feel better for a time. We might just use uh, just sort of habitual uh, shopping and continuing to buy stuff we don't really need, but that constant influx of new makes us feel like we're changing our situation all the time. I don't know what it is, but where, where do I turn when I feel forsaken? It may not be witchcraft, but it may not be great, and it might still be rebellion, 
And God says, even when it isn't all that bad, your rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I think this passage asks us this question. Am I waiting to go toward God until I feel like I need Him? Am I waiting to go toward God until I feel like I need Him? This is definitely Saul's problem here. Oh, he wants God now. But why? Again, the lie is there was ever a time I didn't need Him. And by the time I, if I'm waiting till I feel like I need God, find Him useful, I will be chest deep in some situation. I'm probably 75 sinful decisions down the pipeline. The circumstances may not ever be straightened out. And also, I'll be in a situation that God has sent in His grace so that I will finally admit what was true all along. I need Him, and there's nothing better than walking with Him. Third, the solution to distance between me and God is always my repentance. Okay, the solution to that distance between me and God is never everyone else change or someone else making these changes so that I don't feel like this anymore. If, how is your relationship with the Lord? If it's cold, if it's distant, my repentance is the solution. And the good news, the good news, number four, is that there's a huge difference between us and Saul. If any of one, two, and three sounds familiar, hits a little too close to home, if you're like, ease up, pastor, I'm sitting right here, come on. You need to understand there's a huge difference between you and King Saul. For those of us who have believed on what Jesus did for us at the cross, there is a massive, eternal, monumental difference between us and King Saul. Here's the difference. Saul actually was forsaken and rejected by God. We just read it. For us, we can be so much like Saul. We can sin similar sins. We can get our lives all jammed up. We can feel consequences from our sin the way Saul felt. But here's what some of those consequences can never be. We will never, the believer in Jesus Christ, will never be rejected by God because Jesus was rejected by God in our place. It's, we've already been rejected for our sin in Him. God's going to let some wicked Gentile men kill King Saul. The good news for us is God let wicked Gentile men kill King Jesus instead of us. <coughs> so we can disobey like King Saul. We can feel consequences like King Saul. But when we are ready to call on the name of the Lord to repent, he'll take us back instantly. And he ain't still sore at you. He's not still angry with you. You know why? Because all his anger's already been poured out. He will still send negative consequences into your life, but not because he hates you or because he's angry, because he's a good dad. 
And he just wants what is best for you. And as soon as you decide to make his best your best, he says, all right, come back on up here. I just wanted you. I use the, the illustration sometimes of teaching your kids not to play in the street. It's best for them to stay in the yard because you don't want them to get run over, right? Sometimes if they continue to play in the street, you have to give negative consequences, but not because it makes you feel good to learn. I mean, if it makes you feel good to hit your kids, we need to talk. And I'm serious. It doesn't, God's not hitting you because it feels good and he needs to get that out. He just wants you back in the yard with him. Crawl right up here on daddy's lap. Tell me about it. He'll take you back every single time. Just walk with me. The whole reason I allowed those consequences into your life to begin with is to help you understand the lie you believed was I, is that you didn't need me a while ago. You needed me then, you need me now, and I've helped you realize that, so come on back and let's do this again. Praise God. Praise God. That the good king was killed like the wicked king. So the sinful folks can get back in the yard. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we behave like King Saul. We deserve consequences like King Saul. But there's simply none of your condemnation left for us if we believe in Christ Jesus. And so God, the consequences we feel now for our sin are just your good dad discipline trying to get us to get back in the yard. So Lord, whoever is here today, uh, however, they need to get back in the yard, so to speak. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage them to not wait, uh, to confess to you, to repent. Not so you will fix all their consequences, but because you're better. And thank you that uh, our punishment has been poured out on the Lord Jesus already, and that you will always take us back when we repent and come back toward you. We love you, Lord. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and we'll finish.